we live? Are we live? Oh, hell yeah. It's hard to know. I think we're going live to supporters only, but I never know because Facebook is weird and uh, vaguely unstable. Yeah, here we are. Let's see what it says. Mark Zuckerberg, you're a punk punk ass bitch. (laughs) Yeah, Zuck. So I think we're just to supporters. Yeah, we're live. Yeah. Okay. Tom and Z, we're in Vegas. What's up, fam? We keeps it real. Here is my question, though. How does one relax? Z-Dog MD. Yeah, we were talking about this shit, Tom. Uh, so Tom has hella rashes. He's got like some shit on his leg. He's You got a weird cyst on your yeah. arm. Look at it. Yeah, look I don't at think that. you can see it. But. So so yeah, you can see it. Palpate it. Like feel it. Yeah. yeah. It's a firm It's firm a hard, cyst. immovable nodule. Yes. And you went and saw a doctor. Yeah, he said it was like some shit i don't listen when they talk yeah there's that <laughs> it looks benign to me but then he put a heating pad on it and he had a lymphangitic streak come off it that resolved in a day and it's never hurt it's never been hot never had a fever there may be trauma and then he's got this stuff on his leg and i said you know what the simplest answer is it's all on your head i think this is a cutaneous manifestation of a brewing unconscious anxiety because you know why i'm a quack it's not even that unconscious. I'm just super stressed out all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tom's, Tom says to me just now before we start the show, because what are we going to talk about? Oh, we'll figure it out, Tom Heineber. Uh He says, you know, I don't think I've been relaxed in years, maybe ever. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, then I, and then now I'm real interested in this seething um, undercurrent because Tom has chim- chill island vibes in person. Here's the reason I can't relax. Hmm. I look around at everybody in my life, with the exception of you, Z-Dog MD, Mm -hmm. and I'm the most responsible person. (laughs) And I'm like, all you idiots are, you know, it's not going to go well if I stop giving a shit. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, You're stressed on behalf of others? I'm stressed because of others. Because of others. Because I have to do shit for other people. Uh, Ah, right. How many people's tax returns I do? Five. I do five different people's tax returns because these are all functioning adults who don't know how to fucking do taxes, eh? And it's like, hey, figure it the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? You know what? You're kind of like a lot of our nurse audience. Mm-hmm. Kind of like an unnurturing version of a nurturer. Okay, this is a good... Me and my wife were talking about this. She has a friend, and I won't go into detail uh, too much on the show in case the friend watches the show. But... There's this friend, and we were talking about, you know, the friend is a nurse. And, you know, in Las Vegas, these NICU nurses, they make like 80 grand a year, you know, basically. And uh, I was like, she was, the friend is having money issues. And I was like, why is she having money issues? She, you know, she makes good money. And I think the husband's an RT and like together they make good money. And uh, so what's the money issue thing, you know? And my wife is like, oh, you know, she, her family sort of lives off her. And, you know, she has all these like hangers on basically. And I was like, you know, that's like, that's pretty common with nurses. Like I used yeah. to, I used to know a nurse in rural Illinois, and I won't tell her name either. But same story, like total loser family, and she was the linchpin that held the whole family together. And mm-hmm. like none of them seemed to work or do anything, you know. And she was the only one going into the hospital every single day. And uh, yeah, it kills us slowly, mm. and we get nothing out of it. The people who are responsible. How interesting, you know, because because. Uh, that's a that's a kind of a foreign stress to me because all the people I'm around are as responsible or more responsible than me. Mm. So in a way, sometimes I feel like the leech. Like definitely in my family, my wife, she does the heavy lifting. She manages everything and is a doctor. Whereas I'm just like I'm Z Dog MD, bitch. Ha-ha. 
I can't even diagnose Tom's weird rash because it's so weird. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. So I, my stress comes from imposter syndrome uh, as opposed to nurturer syndrome. But so the question is, and we can ask the audience here, like everyone's here, like my, my life in a nutshell, says Rhonda Kay. Guilty, says Jeanette. Um, yeah, Catherine, Catherine says, Tom, dude, I hear you. I've been in a similar situation and it sucks. Well, here's the thing. It's, it's part of it is the era that we're living in, I think, because we're living in such a bitch ass era that personal responsibility is now counterculture. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. You turn on the news and all the, uh, you know, all the talking heads and all, all, the, po- all status, the politicians. Yeah. yeah it's a, yeah. everybody is in a race to occupy the victim position, right. which is a race to the bottom. Right. And I'm not in a race to occupy the victim yeah, position, yeah, yeah. but I have a bunch of people around me who are, yeah, and yeah. I end up taking care of them. You know yeah. I mean? Well, you know... And the story I tell myself is if I don't take care of them, it's just going to be worse later. But maybe it's bad now. <laughs> I should just fucking drop them all. And you just, know, I bet ex- you... With the exception so- <laughs> of like my daughter, and just let everybody else just figure it the fuck out. It might be that uh, you are overestimating how crucial your help is in the sense that if you did pull the rug, they would step up and do something. I think the problem too is like, I can see what's coming and these people just live in the moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You're worried about they the don't, future. They don't plan for the future. <laughs> right. And so it's like, uh, yeah, you're super fucked like five years from now. And they're like, what? things are yeah, fine yeah, now, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. So, you know, again, I'll make it cerebral for no reason. Harari and Sapiens, I'm re-listening to that book on audiobook, he talks about the shift from hunter-gatherer culture to agrarian agricultural culture. And it went from these small bands of anywhere between five and 50 to 100 humans that would survive in the moment hunter-gathering. So they knew kind of what plants were poisonous, what mushrooms were good, what different fields had the venison, whatever. And they got really good at it. They were really highly adept social creatures. So they knew which member of the tribe was fucking around, mm-hmm. wasn't pulling their weight, yep. needed to just die. And they would not hesitate to just stab a motherfucker if they weren't pulling their weight. Or if, you know, if there was a baby that they couldn't handle, like, as a thing of slowing them down, they just leave the baby on the side of the right, road. So right. they were merciless, but at the same time, <clears throat> extrapolating to current hunter-gatherer tribes, they laugh often, they live in the moment, they're generally fit, live long lives. If they survive childhood, childhood, they would all die. <laughs> With the ones that survive, they live forever. Now they live in the moment using what humans kind of evolved to do, which is lots of different muscles and using their brain to actually survive on a minute to minute basis. When agriculture started and humans started settling down, no more nomadic stuff, they became tied to a piece of land, suddenly property mattered, suddenly thinking about the future, what's the rain's gonna do? What does that cloud mean? Mm, what, yeah. Became an existential threat because your life depended on this one crop. Then you have class stratification where now there's a hierarchy where there's the landowners and the peasants who are tilling the land. And everything went to hell largely because now they're worrying about the future all the time. Yeah. Uh, and also tied to a piece of land, now the property matters. Now your house you're comparing to your neighbors. Now you spend all this money on your hut. Before it was like, you're just fucking free. Mm-hmm. So now I don't wanna romanticize those days, but I think humans did not evolve to be like this. This is an affliction for us. We can transcend it, because you have to get to Maslow's top hierarchy and then you can transcend it. Even as a society, we can do that, but we're not quite there. So we're in this transition period where everybody's miserable. Yeah, I think that's a a good point. Um, humans humans don't act randomly, though. Humans act to bring about some ends. 
So we are always thinking about the future. I don't think that we necessarily ever live in the present moment. Mm. Even hunting and gathering is yeah, you're acting for some ends. Tonight's dinner. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of future and some pa- they have to have memory. Mm-hmm. So they have to know the patterns, you know? It's interesting because even animals are that way. Like a rabbit knows yeah. its foraging path and what's poisonous. Yeah, we say that about animals that they live in the moment. But no, they what? don't. Yeah, yeah. My dog is scared of the same trash can on our block. He remembers it. <laughs> yeah. He's a little bitch. <laughs> How did he do for 4th of July? We we gave him Xanax, so he was, he was all right. <laughs> okay, oh, can I tell you this story? Yeah. So I went to Colorado and uh, I got um, CBD with THC in it. Oh, yeah, because the yeah, CBD yeah. that we get out here is just CBD, hemp CBD. That that's marijuana CBD in Colorado. So I brought some back, gave it to the dog as a test for the Fourth of July, because the chick at the weed shop was like, "Yeah, give it to dogs. It's great for them." <laughs> and so I did, and uh, he was so chill for like an hour. <laughs> and then I get a text from my wife, and it's like, "Yeah, he shit the bed and pissed himself." <laughs> it's like, cool. Cool. CBD cures everything, yeah, bro. But he seemed happy. See, he was constipated for years. And now look, he's having perfect bowel movements. Jeanette says, how do I get them all to go away, the non-responsibles? One is a 29-year-old kid and another is my ex. I have to pay 1K a month alimony to for life. Jesus. The 29-year-old, you just tell them to fucking grow up. They're 29. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The ex, the court system has got you there. See, yeah, you know. Also, you should tell him to be a fucking man. I'm assuming it's a dude. Like, man up, bro. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would never take alimony. I, I as a guy. Oh my god. I grew up with a lot of friends like the ones you describe. Yeah. Your own uh, associates. And uh, what's weird about me is I will give and give and give of myself. Like they're having a bad time. They're going through a problems. They're doing this, and I'll be there and I'll listen and I'll give advice and I'll be as present as I can. And then something will happen where I'll reach a point where I've given my threshold. And then it's like a switch. At that point, I just decide, I'm fucking done with this person. They are hurting my happiness and I'm cutting them off entirely. And mm-hmm. I go from full on to nothing, which is not how you should be. No. Uh, you should you should say, listen, we need to have a talk. Like, this is tough. Yeah. So, instead, I'm just like, okay, fuck you. I'm done with you. And, and it's over. And uh, I got to get better at that because <laughs> I got to modulate, pump the brakes, use a little anti-lock. Hey, you can start right now because Dwayne says, Z, you're way too nice to Tom's simplistic view. You know what? I think I'm too nice to Z's overly nuanced view. <laughs> Actually, Dwayne, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about, but please elaborate so that we can discuss it because it's... If there's a uh, simplistic point that Tom's making, I'd like to know what it is so I can make fun of him. Um, this is me. I'm like, yo, Z, it be this way. And Z's like, not all the time, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, live in the moment all my life, Deborah Torak, uh, now close to retirement. And yep, I'm fucked. That does happen. Yeah, totally. That does happen. You know, it's... That's... Well, all right. I'll, I'll tell a personal story. A... I'm, well, I can just say it. It's my mother-in-law. She doesn't have a phone. She's never going to find this. Yeah. She was put in a situation where she had no money. And, I mean, nothing. Nothing. Dead broke. Luckily, no debt, but nothing at 63. Mm. And she was left with no alimony, no, no pension coming, zero. Mm. So it's easy to say, like, yeah, just drop all these people. But, like, this is my wife's mother... It's my only remaining grandparent for my daughter. 
what am I supposed to do? Just drop this woman? So, mm. get, so being the only person who's responsible and plans for the future, I bought her a condo. Mm. I helped her get on a financial plan. Like, it's still not going to be like great. Mm. We're not going, you know, we're not going to Maui all the time, mm. but think we're going to squeak it by. Like, we'll be able to make retirement okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But if I don't exist in her life, she's fucked. Things are going to be much worse for her. Well, here's a question, though. Is she, though? Yeah, 100%. They'll be, they'll be worse. They'll be worse. But would she be forced to woman up and... At 63? Would someone else step in? Are you a crutch for her? I'm not saying her in particular. I'm just... Dude, after, after like 40, if you haven't unfucked yourself, you're fucked. Like, you're permanently... <laughs> oh, Tom's being too simplistic. No, yeah. <laughs> I am. We all know it's true. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Listen, at... 30 it's pretty bad at 40 it's like i don't think you can ever come back liliana what about uh, colonel sanders man he started fried chicken when he was 62 well we can't all be colonel sanders can we you know what it's sad but it's true we can't all be colonel sanders speaking of which by the way that reminds me of the piece we just recorded lacy the lactation shark oh my god we finally did it so funny we finally did it you guys are gonna love that there was a piece there were a few pieces we cut out Oh, we're, we're, we're putting up this is a supporter live right only supporter, yeah yeah we're but putting, i mean the world might hear it on a podcast we're putting up the cursey version just for supporters it is super funny i wanted to give you the full unedited version but it would have been like 10 minutes long we have uh, been trying to cl- crack this lactation consultant meme for like i don't know six months this is like the fourth version of the video we've done uh Oh, and the uh, previous ones. You guys saw uh, Bridget, the fucking breast Nazi. <laughs> so that was, uh, you will have the booby milk. It was like uh, Schindler's List, but about boobs and not about Schindler and, and very bad. And then we did another version of the shark that I hated. And now we finally, I think, have it right. There was a scene that we cut out, though, where Johnny Cochran was... We were talking about famous people that were breastfed. And we were like, and Johnny Cochran, for example, if the tit... What was it? If the tit fits... <laughs> You must acquit. Well, I forget what it was. It was something really stupid. And then that I think uh, we cut out. Yeah, what did Johnny Cochran's mom? Oh yeah, Johnny Cochran died because he stopped breastfeeding. It was a whole. It was a horrible Dude, thing that we cut out. Everybody in the comments, and you have to assume like a lot of the people here are nurses. Everybody is talking about how they got freeloaders living off yeah. of them. They're in similar situations to the one I'm describing. Yeah. What's your advice? I mean, you know, other than just drop everybody because you know it's not always realistic. Give me one of your super nuanced takes. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't have this problem in my life. So, it, but but it could easily have been me because yeah. I am surrounded by people who would definitely latch on like a lamprey, like right under the breast, <laughs> and just I'd be swimming, like trying to swim, and you see them just there. Uh-huh. I think what it is is I give off a vibe of you know, man the fuck up or don't, I'm not gonna, I, I'll, I, don't, I can't hang out with you. So I think what happens is there comes a point where we're just not, there's no social connection anymore because I can't understand you if you're not, if the advice that we've given and all that's not helping, I can't help you anymore. Now with family, most of my family is like, I've never had this problem because they're all very competent. So I maybe I just come from a place where I, I'm not able to relate to this problem. But all my, you know, a lot of my friends were problematic. Yeah, it's it's mainly it's probably mainly a boundary setting issue. It could like, be that if we could set better boundaries, we probably wouldn't have this issue you as know, often. I suspect doctors are better at this than nurses. 
The nurses are more that nurturing phenotype. Doctors yeah. aren't necessarily. They're more the either the scientist phenotype or the, you know, the, there's that, uh, you know, like for me, I'm the sage phenotype. I like to teach, but I don't like to mentor. Right. I don't like to put you under my wing and take you along. I would rather be like, here's some information, man. It should get you woke. Okay, I'm out. Uh, which, which is, you know, it's problematic from a Facebook messaging standpoint because I get people's life stories sent to me and I will read them and acknowledge them, but I can't advise you, I can't mentor you. I mean, some people like medical students and stuff, I have very specific advice for, yeah. but it becomes frustrating because I'm like, I don't know what to do with this, right? Samantha says, I see a lot of friends who quote unquote live in the moment. They were raised by parents who live the same way. The parents always seem to die, quote unquote, early, and they never have a plan or savings or anything to help them make it through these tough financial situations. Mm. That describes most, most people. people. Yeah. yeah. Is it an education issue? Is it a cultural issue that we're just not teaching people like, hey, this is how you save? You know, like home yeah. is bullshit. It doesn't really work. You need to teach people financial skills early on. Yeah. Well, they, it's not taught in school, obviously, yeah. like, you know. We right. teach you driver's ed instead or whatever, you know, home ec or wood shop or whatever, right. which is, I, I guess, good. But knowing how to balance a checkbook basically is, is a lot better. Yeah, or like know. opportunity cost. What does that mean? Or interest? Yeah, there are only a couple of mental models you need to keep in your head at any given time to, you know, be financially well off, like compounding, mm -hmm. uh, opportunity cost, Opportun time value of money, you know, just basic stuff. Basic stuff. Yeah. But it's about, you Make know. Make or spend less than you make, you know, it's Right. When I was a resident, that's when I started learning this stuff. Yes. Like, I didn't know any of you it. You have to be taught it. You have to be sure. taught. I read Investing for Dummies. And now, here's yeah. the hard part. In um, Walter Mischel's book, The Marshmallow Test, where he talks about... Uh, delayed his, gratification. Delayed gratification experiments. The children that come from low-income backgrounds have a much harder time trusting the person administering the test. Mm. So if, you leave a marsh if you're an adult and you leave a marshmallow there and you tell me, if I wait... 15 minutes and I'm a good boy, I get a second marshmallow. Oh, well, I don't, I come from a background where I can't trust adults. Mm. So fuck you, I'm gonna eat this marshmallow because yeah. it's in front of me. Yeah, right, right, right. And so that creates the that's cycle a, that, as that's well. That's right, that's right. You know, you know that, that, that experiment came into question lately. I read an article saying it was bullshit or there was some big major problem with it actually. It's probably about the, the you know, the children the, the from low cost. Social, so bias, yeah. yeah. The social bias. Interesting. Uh, dude, there's no driver's ed shop or home ec uh, or checkbooks anymore. Uh, Jeanette uh, Wu-Tan Wilson. That's right. Now it's Instagram 101. Uh, how, <laughs> how to get woke. How to build your personal brand. How to build your personal brand. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? They use me as an example. They're like, here's what not to do. What is this thing? You, I, you, you probably don't know about this, but like, there's this whole new trend of like girls who are my age and younger who go to the gym and then they create a fitness Instagram. Like, it'll be like their name, like Je Jenny Fitness. And then it'll be like, here I am at the gym working my glutes. And they'll have like <laughs> 8,000 thirsty dudes that follow them. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't want this world for my daughter, Z. <laughs> I don't want her to have access to that level of instant gratification That's and attention seeking. Uh, you, know? you know, our world has, is in a transition. I, I was talking to my wife about this. I was like, what if she's one of these girls who just puts up butt selfies, but she suddenly makes like $2 million a year. Are we going to tell her that she can't put up butt selfies? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, but, I don't know what to do in that parenting situation. Yeah, because see. you have a financial issue there. I mean, we know the value of butts. Some of these girls yeah. who are just putting up pictures of their butts are making are a making lot of money. money. And it's like, okay. How do you, how do you argue with that? Connie Cirilli, Cirilli, yes, says, hey, Z-Dog, you are awesome. Okay, A. I'm going to read your comment now because you started it with the right buttering me up. The <laughs> issue is parents who have little money live day to day and are unable or do not have understanding themselves how to save. Everything today is instant gratification. Again, it goes with that, what, what, the level of education and the poverty begets poverty because you don't have role models, you don't have the education, you don't have the teaching of what money means. Are you just surrounding yourself with people who've never had that and you're their role model or is it just, now what is this? Could be, mm. yeah. Or I find myself surrounded right. by, right? Growing up, I definitely people. did. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't surround myself with uh, affluent people because there weren't any. Yeah, yeah. In fact, people would look at my parents as affluent, people. as affluent. Yeah, you know. And my dad was making like a hundred grand a year as a primary care doc and in some which private practice. A which big deal in a rural area. Yeah. Was a huge amount of money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my mom made less as a psychiatrist. And uh, it, and it's funny because, you know, I think he still comes from it. Yeah, did I, so I tell you this? So when I, I was in uh, Fresno the other day with my parents picking up the kids because I dumped them off for a week and they exhausted the Z parents. Like they were, I've never seen them look that tired because my two kids, man, they require constant attention if you don't just put them in front of a screen. Yeah. And uh, so I show up and so I sit down and... Uh, my dad, by the way, he's turning 80 in September. He's fucking starting to, like, I, I look at him now and I'm like, you're looking really like a lot of my patients, like elderly, slowing down, feet are swelling, has AFib, is on Coumadin, uh, is on Toprol, is on a statin, is on like Prilosec or some shit. And I'm like, Dude, you're becoming my patients. Like you're old and cro some chronic disease, and your speech is slower. You have just to get out of the bed, uh, out of the chair, using all the arms and everything. And I started to get kind of sad. And so I'm sitting there, and the kids are talking to Nai Nai, Grandma, and he starts just going on this interesting thing. He's like, you know, in India, <laughs> I used to ride a train. My my father was an engineer on the train. And so growing up, we would get free rides on the train and we would go back and forth from Bombay to Pune. By the way, he doesn't call it Mumbai or Pune or any of this bullshit. It's Bombay and Pune because that's what it was yeah. when I was growing up too. And and he, he, would, he was telling me all the stories. So my dad would run the thing and then he would dump us off at the boarding school where we stayed in in Bombay, and the boarding school, it was not like uh, like where you send rich kids because his dad was broke. His dad made 250 rupees a month. So I think a dollar is 250 rupees. <laughs> so it was like nothing. But you could, he supported the whole family. Uh, and so to get the kids taken care of, he put them in a Protestant school, I forget what it was called, that was run by the English. And they would board the kids, make them work, like scrub toilets, like make food, like do all this shit. And so he's telling me all this stuff. I've never heard any of this, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, holy shit, is he dying? Like what's going on? Like why is he telling me all this? And what I thought, it kept going. And what I think is, it is a normal like life cycle life review where you're like, I need you to know where I came from because I'm looking at you with your kids now, and I'm thinking, you know, 
you're trying to model them and you're saying, oh, you gotta have this house, you gotta do this. But let me show you what really actual abject need is and yeah. why, why work is important and why at any minute you could be out on the street. And then I realized that's how I was raised. So I'm very sort of, uh, I calculate risk all the time and I think, okay, yeah. you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? And then work backwards from that. And you know, he's talking about, they used to go fishing for crabs in the local like swamp because that, that's how they'd eat that night. Because what they'd give them is like a little bit of rice. And he's like, and, and they'd give us a chapati. You know what a chapati is? I'm like, yeah, dad, I'm also Indian. <laughs> I know you don't believe it, but I am. And we would eat this little bit and then we'd go get a crab. And if you got a crab, oh, you'd sleep so nice that night. Because you'd, <laughs> you'd just go and you'd have dreams of more crabs. And <laughs> 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 and I was thinking, you know, I felt really bad for kids who grow up either without both parents or with parents that are abusive or highly neglectful. And and you'd struggle with a lot with neglect, I think, right? Mm. It, it's tough to, you know, dad was a amazing role model. And I actually found, I spent time with your dad and found him to be a remarkable dude. But there was a lot of like, he's working, your mom has mental illness. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, emotional neglect is a hard one because it always feels like you're running on empty. Yeah. So you just kind of like, what would a normal person do who had feelings? You'd be like, maybe I should guesstimate and do that, you know? I'll yeah. do my best impression of that. Oh, God. You know? Is that what it's like? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Huh. Just like, huh, what do normal people feel? Do they feel things? Because I don't feel things. <laughs> so what... what, what like, you're a paradox, Tom Heinerer, because it's hard. It, because you know I have a lot of associates. You know I'm reconnecting with a lot of them in the Bay Area. Uh, I mean, you and I can have conversations for hours and not run out of steam, right? There's some we see each other on that level, but I wasn't neglected. In fact, if anything, I was smothered with attention by my mother to the, mm. to, a, to a detriment to some degree because then I became like you know just weird. But but uh, what is it? What's going on with you? I think the similar uh, thing that we share is because we have similar backgrounds ish, which yeah. is like you grew up in a professional you know household where you know your uh, mother and father were both professionals. There were expectations of you. Mm. A lot of these expectations were how you earned love in the household by exceeding or excelling. Uh, which you know, if it takes the place of emotions and emotional connection, it is a form of emotional neglect. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if it, you can one one to one, hundred percent replace it. Mm. So I have the same thing where it's like, in order to be enough, you must achieve. You must know. My house was all about like knowing information and mm. like being well read and like you know, interesting, staying up on current events and just you know, et cetera. Maybe that's where you got your scientist phenotype. Maybe. Yeah. Or it it re reinforced it. Yeah. We talked about this before. Well, it's interesting for me because in terms of the you know. Uh, delayed gratification thing or the instant gratification thing delayed gratification comes really easily to me because of the household i grew up in where my mm. father was this very erudite lawyer who you know always you know save the money and put it away and one day and then we'll uh, you know and then i saw him like get to like 66 and then fucking die and then never spend any of his money you know what I mean? Mm. Never do anything for enjoyment, just nothing. Like he did this thing at the end of his life where he went on all these trips around the world. And uh, it was like 
like compulsory. Like he was doing it because he thought he was supposed to. Mm. And he didn't, the people that my aunts and uncles that went with him on these trips said he didn't enjoy it. And he was just like, you know, buried in a book or buried in his phone the whole time. And like not Mm. really looking around at China or Italy or wherever the fuck he was. Mm. And, uh, seeing that happen to somebody, I was like, okay, obviously there's a middle path, you know, too much delayed gratification is also bad. Like nothing is a, a panacea mm. you're gonna have to find the middle path you know this is why we call normal people well adjusted <laughs> because <laughs> it's like they're balanced in the center you know sometimes you should be living in the moment sometimes you should be planning for the future it's not so good to be so out of balance either direction i think i think though we might make a mistake thinking anyone's well adjusted i think everyone has a degree of struggle that we don't understand and maybe we yeah grass is greener sort of scenario but i, I think, think people, i think if you see some like the conversation that we're having in the comments where mm. like everybody's like yeah i have a bunch of you know mm. i save or i don't or whatever it is mm. don't tell yourself just because you save that you're better than people that don't because mm. you're just doing the same thing they're doing Mm. Right, like you're going the opposite direction, right? Right. Instead of finding the balance, right? right which is, right, right. you should save and then spend it. Enjoy your life, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's some balance there. Yeah, I'm. The thing is, yeah, I, you have to take care of that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. I think a lot of people are still struggling at the bottom of that, trying to wrestle their way up to security. I lost the comment, but uh, Dale said that you know not everybody has enough money to save based mm. on you know housing and uh, all these kinds of things. And you know, in the past, I've been a dick about these sort of things because <laughs> I kind of think that everybody has the ability to save. But there's a real truth that if you're in a high cost of living area, housing is going to be exorbitant. Right. Because of the way the Fed printed money during the financial collapse, asset prices have risen and that has, you know, uh, price people out. been at the benefit of the wealthy and to the detriment of the poor. And so housing is super fucking expensive. If you're going to live in one of these coastal cities. You're probably going to have to move, but that's easier said than done. And then, you know, so, you know, this is, okay. It's, it's very tricky. So I'm what I'm saying is I am finding the nuance here and I won't just be the person who's like, you should be able to save all the time. Although I think you should and you should definitely and, strive for it. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, we're going to roll reverse. It's like Freaky Friday. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the strident roll on this, which is um, a lot of people have this thing called luxury creep. And this is in the higher echelons where, mm, yeah. oh, you know, ah, I've made this much money, which was my goal, but now I, now I need this house and this car and this house ever, ever chasing it. Now, the guy wrote a book, Sandeep Johar, he's a cardiologist, uh, wrote a book called Doctored the Disillusionment of the American Physician. Very sad, depressing book about what it's like to be a private practice and academic cardiologist in Manhattan. And most of the book he's complaining about how he has to hustle and do side gigs and moonlight and Mm -hmm. kind of uh, do ethically questionable things with doctors that he doesn't like because he has to be able to pay the bills. And then you look at where he's living, which is like the middle of Manhattan. And the first thought is, okay, dude, like great book. Move the fuck out of New York. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, are you that snotty that you have to live in Manhattan to feel like you're alive, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, well, life isn't worth living without good wine and, you know, uh, proximity to the beach. Well, What's that? There's a quote that says, uh, true New Yorkers understand the fact that people living anywhere else are kidding themselves. And the rest of us understand the fact that New Yorkers are assholes. Yes. And New York's a garbage dump. It's a piece of shit. No. <laughs> so every time I go to New York, I, I, I have the same reaction. I go into New York and I go, holy fucking uh, shit. New York is horrendous. Well, I think this is the apex of humans' expression of 
cities and culture and diversity, and I want to get the fuck out after about a day uh, because it's too much for me. Like I, I'm hyper-stimulated, I'm stressed. And we were talking earlier about how every every individual is both an individual and a, a kind of a little galaxy unto themselves and part of this bigger universe. So it's always autonomy versus communion and this tension and struggle. I think cities are a great expression of that tension. It's really more on the community side. And if you tend to err a little more on the individual side, cities will feel stifling. Yeah. Now, I lived in San Francisco for four years, right in the heart of uh, inner sunset, and I've never been that unhappy. Yeah, I was never more unhappy than when I was living in downtown Chicago. Mm. I hated it. Hate it, right? Hate it. What is it? What is it? I just, you know, I'm and again, a, not to diss people who like cities because it's a phenotype, it's a different personality. I'm a rugged individual. I don't do, I don't do groupthink. I don't enjoy community that much. Right. I just, it's not my thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I yeah. like having access to the stuff that's around, but like living on top of people in those stacked boxes. Yeah. I don't like being that far away from nature either. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. So it's weird because where I'm moving. I have some of the benefits of community, so it's a little cul-de-sac-y kind of nice little place. I know everybody in the community there, but we're not right on top of each other. I'm right on a nature trail, so that's nice, and it's close to the city but not in it. That, for me, is the perfect balance. When I was younger, I was like, I really want to live in San Francisco. It's the best city on earth. Imagine all the cool stuff happening, and then you yeah. do it, and you're like, this sucks. This sucks. Yeah. Like, I feel no boundary. I, there's, I feel like people are in my house, even though I'm alone. Uh, so it's weird, and, and everybody's different. But uh, why were we even talking about that? I don't remember. Valerie Crawford says we had the big house, pool, RV, motorcycles. Decided to downsize to a small house, sold the RV and the motorcycles. Now travel out of the country at least twice a year, and we are a lot happier mm. now. Of course, mm. we have been married thirty-seven years. You know what, Valerie? So yeah, I. I you know, what's the number? They say ninety k, seventy five. It used to be, but I think it's inflated now. Yeah. But Valerie actually nailed what it's like to get a little bit older. So when I was young, we were happy to live in a city. When when we got older, the suburbs, straight suburbs like mm -hmm. Vegas, where we lived for the last seven years, where we are right now, paradise. Yeah, walled, gated community away. Then I get to go out and be with people when I travel, and then I come back to my community and my family. Not even community, family. There's no yeah. community. In my gated community, I knew the neighbors barely. Most of them were doctors. We never exchanged three words. And, uh, and so it was very much a walled thing, and we were fine with that. But now I'm feeling the pull. That's part of the reason we moved, we're moving back to the Bay Area, is that pull of community, family connection, and the ability to travel and do different experiences. So it's not a one, it's, it, it changes throughout your life stages. I've been in a lot of rich people's houses a lot because I grew up around wealth and you know we like we've traveled to very rich people's homes and been invited in and these kinds of things and I'm not not everybody but in general there is a real sadness when you're inside of there and mm. it's uh they all want to show you their stuff you know what I mean and it's like you know you see this tile this is terracotta tile it was imported from some fuck-ass place I don't remember. You know? Italy, I think. And it's like, oh, okay. Cool tile, guy. <laughs> I was recently in... And it's basically them being like, yeah, tell me I'm enough. Let me show you my Tell work. me I'm enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had that exact experience recently uh, in, um, in Vegas. I, I went to like a $15 million mansion friend of my kids, you know, family. In other words, 
parent of a, of a friend of my child. So they were having playdates in this mansion. Mm -hmm. And I knew right away when I drove up to go get her, I was looking at this thing, custom built, you know, amazing thing. Yeah. And uh, I think I showed you pictures. Oh yeah, you told me the story. Yeah, yeah. Didn't your daughter get to ride in like a Rolls Royce? She got to ride in like or, a Phantom yeah. or something, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and I walked up, never met these people, elderly folks, really prominent in the community and uh, of Las Vegas. And I said, uh, I, I knew exactly what to say to get shown the place, mm. which is, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. I wish I could do something like this when we remodel, but I don't have the means. And immediately mm -hmm. invited in for the tour. And it was exactly that. This is original art. This is yeah. special tile from Italy. We built this from scratch. This is my own gym, separate from the house. Oh, yeah. And there was a feeling in the place. My daughter, my eight-year-old said this. Yeah, that was a cool house. I wouldn't want to live there, though. It doesn't feel like home. Because it's a fucking museum. Do you remember? Of course you do. Do you remember the really rich guy, 100 millionaire plus, who invited us into his home? We were at a party at his house. And he took us around and showed us all his artwork. And yeah. his artwork was like a uh, tour. It was like a it was like a mosaic of poverty around the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, Christy, here in America and around the world. Christy Columbus remembers the story because she says that time you got y'all got invited to that Bush party. Oh yeah, that yeah. She gave it away. It was Jonathan Bush. Jonathan house. Bush. Yeah. But Jonathan Bush had um, all this artwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from of, Cuba. Of like, from Cuba, yeah. when socialism took from hold. From the South. And, and, you know, he spends all of his time thinking about uh, welfare and socialism. Yeah, and, and he's fabulously capitalism wealthy. Capitalism. What an interesting guy, right? It because he, he he's part of the Bush family. He's yeah. like the, the cousin of George W. and the nephew of George H.W. And he ran Athena Health, uh, and EHR vendor. And so we were at his house and... And uh, he's one of my, and people have, he's very controversial. I found him to be one of the most authentic, like interestingly, oh, I, sincerely. I love the guy. He's hilarious. He's wickedly smart. Really smart. Super high energy. He'll start crying talking about his experiences as a paramedic in Louisiana and how it was those, it was, you know, the sleep yeah. deprivation and the shifts. And he, he drank loved us it. all under the drank table. Drank us all under the he table. He spent most of the night making fun of Logan's shoes. Yeah, because <laughs> Logan went to Target and bought he, both shoes. He invited us yeah. to a costume party and <laughs> failed to tell us it was a costume party. We show up, he's in a full gorilla suit. Yeah. And I'm wearing like a button up. Logan went, we took Logan to Target because he was wearing shorts. And, and he's like, oh, we'll get some $20 boat shoes and some slacks or something. And so we show up, we're all like, hey guys, people are fucking dressed as Uncle Sam. Like, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It was one of the, it was one of the greatest experiences of you my know, life. His house was interesting because it was uh, small. Yeah. Like it was very expensive, the home. Yeah. And everything in the home was very expensive, yeah. I'm sure. But it was very small. It was like, it felt cozy. It felt like a home. Yeah, it felt like an actual home. It felt like a home. Yeah. And, and his Whereas kids were there. Whereas you go into a lot of these people's, these, oh, it's these just McMansions, and it's just like this big, huge room, and there's like three chairs in the middle of it, and you're yeah. like, okay, who you know, sits in this big-ass room? You know it's what's like a weird hotel lobby. So the opposite of this is Tony Shea. Oh, who lives in a trailer park. Yeah, who lives yeah. in a trailer park. So Tony is my, my friend, investor in Turntable Health. Billionaire, sold... You know, Zappos to Amazon, still stayed on as the CEO. So he went through all the phases of wealth. He had a penthouse in San Francisco that he sold. Then he lived in a McMansion in Las Vegas when he moved to Zappos to Las Vegas. 
Denny's like, he lived in a tiny little apartment thing in the Ogden in Las Vegas. And then now he lives in an Airstream trailer park. And when he does the tour of this trailer park, all he points out, he doesn't point out things. He points out, here's where you can have fun swimming with the kids. Here's a fire pit where we have shows at night and people can have you know, live music experiences. Right. Here's where people can connect and cook together in this communal kitchen. So for him, and again, I, I don't like that because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. fuck that. Yeah. But for what he's doing is he's saying, let me show you these experiences and community I create with my affluence as opposed to here are the things that I've bought. It's really a different vibe. Yeah. But he's, he's an interesting cat because he's woke, but then also, you know, like us, he struggles with everything. So he, he he's an interesting cat. But that kind of wealth is a whole different game. You called me a paradox earlier. I think everybody's a paradox. Yeah, everybody is. You know. Yeah, I think that's right. And life is about resolving paradox or trying it, to. You know what? It's about holding paradox. Holding. Holding yeah, paradox. Like yeah. I can accept that there's. This, yes, that's true. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the resolution. I that's guess. the resolution that's of the it. Because you can't resolve a paradox. Yeah, you so can't. you just say, "Oh, I hold it and I accept it." Oh, wow, life can be terrible and great in the same moment. You can cry with happiness and sadness in the same exact moment. Uh, and that's what's beautiful. That's the poignancy as you get older, by the way. You're noticing this already at mm. 30. At 46, like every day, there's a moment where I become like emotional. Yeah, It's strange. Everything becomes... Yeah. 20x more poignant. Imagine what it's like being 80, because happiness apparently decreases through your 40s, like late 30s, 40s, and then it starts to incline. Yeah. Really until death in many cases. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it's very tricky to let go of old patterns and mm -hmm. old habits and old defense mechanisms. You know, I, I talk about it in therapy. My therapist always says that, well, it's hard for you to let go of them because you have um, secondary gain from it, mm. right? But ultimately, they're making me unhappy, mm. you know? Mm. And if you could just let go of it all, you'd be happy. You'd be so much happier. So but that's why when you get closer to death, you're like, I'm preparing to let go. I'm it. letting us go. Yeah. Dwayne Cecil says he likes these convos. You never know where they're going. You guys are great. Thank you. We try uh, just to have natural conversations. Carrie Hinchliff says, you did a live from his trailer park that was really interesting. That's right. If you guys dig oh, it up, yeah, yeah. I did a live from uh, New Year's Eve at his trailer park and you could kind of see what was going on. Um, the ability to live with cognitive dissonance and be at peace with it, when I realized that things, when I realized that, things got a little easier. Andy loined. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, it's very hard to be upset and then not do anything about it. Yeah. Man, I tell you, I'm That's still... another part of the whole delayed gratification thing is just doing nothing. Right. Doing nothing. We were talking me and um we were all at lunch earlier and we were ex we were talking about the stock market with Logan and me and you are a little more experienced in those things than Logan is. And we were telling Logan basically like it's just all patience. Like yeah. you just be patient and then be Don't... more patient and then be more patient. And eventually things work out, you know? Mm. It, it's this kind of a, you know, what, what did Naval Ravikant... But that's frightening if you need the money. Yeah. You know? If you, like, really need, you put in a thousand bucks and you, like, need that thousand bucks and, and, and it goes down to 500 bucks. And I've been there, I remember, like, <laughs> when I was a resident, I started learning about the stock market and I'm like, I have no money. I'm going to invest a little bit and you lose 500 bucks and you are in panic mode. Because yeah. you're like, dude, that's... Now I look back and I'm like, dude, I should have just stuck it out. 
Like you can't panic, you can't sell. You, but but again, you don't you can't have that foresight until you go through that. You can't let go of material things until you have them. Yeah, I think there's no cheating. Unfortunately, there's no free lunch. You uh, have to get them and then realize they're bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna, you're gonna stand inside of your dream home and realize you're just you, and you're just in your fucking dream home. Th- th- this is why I think it's very di- <laughs> it's disingenuous for affluent people. Like it'd be disingenuous. Like I've worked very hard to to uh, 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 get to whatever minimal point. You know what's funny? Today, Blair Duddy, after the show, he was like, uh, you know, and the thing is, uh, you know, I, I don't do concierge medicine because I hate rich people. And he turns to me and goes, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> and I was offended. I was like, not by Blair, but more like, I'm not a rich person. Like, I'm middle class in the Bay Area. The but Bay the truth area. is, yeah, the truth is, by by other standards, be considered rich. I think it's disingenuous for rich people to look at someone struggling, say, in the comments, who's like, I can't save enough to retire. I can't do this. And say, oh, none of that matters. Things are not important. Oh, yeah. You yeah, have that's to, horseshit. Right. You have to, no, you have to attain those things. First of all, because you get security and you yeah. don't die because there's Maslow's hierarchy. But then it's like, you don't recognize the meaningless of things until you have them. You will never know until you have them. You I will think always, you, it's yeah, nature. You ha- I think you have to strive and then mm-hmm. and then get it. And then, you know, and it does, money solves your money problems a lot yeah, of the time. sure does. So it's like, that's nice. To the tune of 75 or 90K. He, then, you know, Lieutenant Dan sent me a letter. He said he invested in some kind of fruit company or something. He said, we don't have to worry about money no more. I said, that's good. That's one less thing. I'm not a smart man. But I know what love is. Can I tell you a story? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an analogy about the Beatles and finding uh, no meaning in material success. Uh. I'm gonna tie this all together. See, <laughs> do you know when you first you know when you first listen to the Beatles and you just fall in love with the Beatles? Yeah, you're just like this is possibly the greatest music I've ever heard in my entire life. You just like dive in. Every deep track Beatles song there is, Hey Bulldog, Rocky Raccoon. You're like, this music was made just for me. And you're in a special relationship with the Beatles. Yes, and in fact, I'm going to interrupt and say mm-hmm. this. My 11-year-old is now in that relationship that's with a, the Beatles. That's a beautiful She's moment. She's asking me all these questions. Yeah. What's up? Why is John dead? What happened to George Harrison? Well, yeah. He died of cancer. He died. Why? Yeah. They're the perfect band. And then yeah. what happens is you associate the Beatles with your personality. You say... That's me. That's who I am. I love the Beatles. The Beatles are amazing. And you keep listening to them and you keep listening to them and you keep listening to them. And after a while, it becomes bland and it goes stale because it's too close to you. And fundamentally, you hate yourself. (laughs) And you're like, now the Beatles are not a new special thing. They're me. I think about me listening to Beatles. I think about that time my girlfriend dumped me and then I cried to long, long, long in the car. (laughs) I think about the time, you know what I mean? I was driving someplace, you know, and then you lose it Mm. until you come back to the Beatles and you go, oh my God, this is so amazing. I forgot how great it was until it becomes reconnected to your self-loathing. So you're saying this is like the it's cycle. A cycle. It's like a karmic it's a cycle. cycle of, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't know if it's exactly that way for me, but I will say I've had a love-neglect relationship with the Beatles that comes back and forth just like that. It's coming back now because in our place, I've set up my stereo with Spotify, and so I run these Beatles playlists because it's the mm-hmm. easiest thing to play. And when you listen to anything off of Abbey Road, you just go, you know... There's no Amazing. finer music. There's nothing. Yeah, it There's just hasn't better. been done. But it becomes associated with you. 
And then you hate yourself. Ah, but you know, try this now. Try this. I hear you. <laughs> try this. Uh, associate it. Let your kid hear it, even at her age now. Let Kennedy listen to the Beatles and watch her response. And it will re-energize your love of the Beatles because you see it now through someone you love instead that's of hate. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what I'm trying to do with my daughter. I'm trying to save the Beatles by having her listen. I don't have to try because she's like, this is... She doesn't ever says it. She's never like, oh, this is amazing, because yeah. that would be admitting that daddy's right about this music. You know, there's a uh, expression at uh, Pixar. I think this comes from Ed Catmull's book, Creativity, Inc. And uh, the expression is, you can't skip day two. So the beginning of the story is X, yeah, and the end of the story is Y, but you can't skip the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's where the action is. That's life. Yeah, that's, that's life. So you can't skip all these stages, all these phases. Like, mm-hmm. you have to live them all out, you know? Mm-hmm. I, the Ram Dass, uh, who's, you know, famous spiritual leader, Richard Alpert. Richard Alpert. He had a... Um, <laughs> Logan laughed when he heard Ram Dass. He's he like, a, here we go. He had, a saying that, <laughs> he had a saying that basically, you know, most people do the most profound spiritual work of their lives in the final minutes before their death. Mm. And I've always sort of believed that, mm. you know? Mm. You know, uh, I told you I've been going through this whole thing with moving. I'm very disjointed. The family's in flux. So my my meditation had fallen off. I stopped meditating for a while. And it, dude, if there's any doubt, if people have any doubt that meditation helps your the other 23 hours or whatever you're not meditating, uh, you can suck a dick. Because when I stopped doing it, I became much more anxious, much more materialistic, much more concerned with these little things that I used to not worry about and way, way, way in my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've started again, and now I'm like, oh man, it's like this. And the problem is if you stop, you don't, I don't think you can, so this is what happens. If you stop meditating regularly, you go almost back Oh yeah, yeah, to where you were before you ever meditated. This is like when you have the afterglow from a psychedelic drug. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then after a while, you just go You're back right to how back. you were. You're right you back. Know? Now the difference is the momentum that you built up with all that energy from before. When you go back to meditation, it takes a couple days, but then you're right back in the pocket. So it's not a waste. It's not like you're just, it's ephemeral. It's that you do- It's like do, muscle memory, yeah. It's, mus, it's muscle memory. It's a practice. You have to keep doing it, but it absolutely pays off. Uh, I mean, I meditated the entire plane flight uh, today, do you and know it was Jocko, fantastic. Do you know who Jocko Willink yeah. is? Yeah. He has that- Navy SEAL. He has that expression, discipline equals freedom. Yeah, he's right. Right. So, oh, a thousand percent. That's another thing. Okay, that get that that comes back to what you advise these freeloader friends of yours. Yeah. How many of them are disciplined? Mm. Sometimes they are in different areas. Different areas, right? Yeah. Right. But in general, I would say they're lacking. Right. Discipline across the board. And whether discipline is self restraint, whether it's delaying gratification, mm-hmm. whether it's sticking to a plan, whatever it is. Discipline is key because it does equal freedom. Jocko's absolutely right. Yeah. That's how he became who he is. It's just work and discipline. Well, I would advise like, you know, if, if you want if you want to solve your money problems, focus on money. Yeah. Just focus. To the exclusion. To yeah. the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. yeah, for real. Because you can build those wealth machines that will, you know, enable freedom for you long term if you spend, you know, five to ten years of your life really focusing on wealth. Yeah. I mean, every day yeah, to like the exclusion of other things. Yes. To getting into it, talking to smart people. It's really true. And and the thing is, <laughs> that then gives you the freedom. It's, yes. not, it's not an end in itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, you should, uh, what was Naval Ravikant saying? He was like, you should get, everybody should be um, 
wealthy, healthy, and happy, basically. And right. he was like, wealthy is the first one. Yeah, because it, it allows frees you up to do other stuff. Exactly right. You know? Yeah, that's why you know I think this people are like this is so unrealistic. You can't. All, everybody can't be wealthy. You know, it's like, but yeah, everybody can because capitalism is a positive sum game. You know, Th- what that's I mean? what Naval's feeling is is that everyone can be wealthy because you grow the pie. Yes, you're not trying to grab pieces of a limited pie. That that, but it requires it requires a consciousness shift in everybody, which is very hard. We're not there yet, but he is an optimist that it can happen. And I'm I'm with I'm him. optimistic that it happens as well. Yeah, I think it yeah. does happen. The other thing he said, he quoted somebody else saying, "All of mankind's problems stem from man's inability to, to sit, sit with himself sit in a room alone, yeah. Alone. Yeah. And yep. that that comes I was thinking about that today on the plane. I'm surrounded by a, a tube full of people. There's announcements, there's mm-hmm. turbulence, there's the usual stuff that happens on a plane. And I was in a state where I was absolutely alone, but not alone. Because as much as the universe is huge around us and it's in a fractal-like complexity, that fractal-like complexity extends inward into your own mind. Yeah. There's all these sub-minds in this infinite downward spiral. And you can access that with meditation. So you're never alone when you're sitting with yourself. So when I reframed it that way, suddenly I was like, I could be on a desert island forever by myself and probably be okay because I'm not alone. So it's really interesting. I think I think those kind of practices, actually, they're a discipline too. So that's for the happiness side. <laughs> Learning about money is for the stability and the freedom side to then pursue things like that. And then you pursue your calling, whether it's nursing, whether it's doctoring, whether it's making films, whether it's um, downloading uh, partially gay porn, Logan? What is it? <laughs> Sorry, fully gay porn. Uh, whatever it is, <laughs> you're free to do it. Megan says, that's such bullshit. If you focus on money, you miss life, especially if you have kids. You don't get that time back. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think we're misunderstanding our point, which is if you have kids and no money, you're focused on money. Believe me, you're focused on the yeah. lack of it. You're focused on putting food on the table. You're focused on how many jobs you have to work. Right. You're focused on spending time with your kids. I spend more time with my kids now that I busted my ass through my 30s working clinical medicine and saved a bunch of money. Yeah. And there's just no way I could have done that if I were struggling and, and you know, uh, working 12s every day. And, right. Yeah. And I get people, people have this fucking terrible attitude these days where there was, a, there's, there was this tweet that went viral and it was like, uh, capitalism is so fucked up. If your eyes are broken, you have to pay to be able to use your own eyes. You have to buy glasses. And it's like, hey, idiot. Capitalism is giving you your sight back. <laughs> yeah. For the low price of like $200. You're welcome. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, John Mackey, Whole Foods CEO, really said it best. And he, it's funny, he's kind of a, you know, he does this whole conscious capitalism thing and he's a real hippie and he's a meditator and he's obviously a, you know, lefty kind of dude, but not really. He's actually a libertarian and I got to meet him and talk to him. He gave a talk about this, and he's like, capitalism is the engine that has lifted humanity out of poverty. Yes, it creates inequity. Yes, it has this downside. But it is the engine that has done this. Not communism, not socialism, not any of those things. It is it is humans being innovative, competing, mm-hmm. and expressing their own passion in a way that actually generates value for others. That's yeah. capitalism in its, in its true form. 
right? We're not saying that American capitalism is that. It may no, be, yes. Crony capitalism is not crony capitalism. free market capitalism. Exactly right, yeah. Cassandra says, but a minimum wage job doesn't allow for saving enough money to make it realistic. Am I missing something? So have, did you ever work minimum wage? I did. Yeah, me too. Yeah. How long did you work minimum wage for? A few months. Yeah. Then I, I'm like, I worked it for like eight months. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never You fucking, got the experience and you went on to the next again. thing. This sucks. Right. Yeah. See, this is bullshit. If you're stuck, how are you stuck in a minimum wage job? It's only a, now, yeah, you have other extenuating circumstances. There's education and all these things, but really your potential is always to transcend that. There are very few who don't have the potential to transcend working seven fifty an hour or whatever minimum wages in your state. Right. So, you know, it's... There's a, there's a, there's a big uh, a victimization sort of mentality. I get a lot of messages, a lot of posts and things that are proposed for supporter tribe and other things. And it's all like, woe is me. Here's a sad story yeah, about me. Yeah. And here's how I'm suffering. Listen. Stop hum- wallowing in your victimhood. Yeah, victim you know, humans need to have their suffering witnessed. And the truth is I witness it. I bear witness it to it. But I don't need to enable it. I don't need to necessarily post it. What we're trying to do is lift people out of that sort of victimization and empower them to say, you know what? You can actually do something tremendous and be a part of the solution in healthcare. Uh, But it, it requires, first of all, realizing that you're worth that solution. You're actually a good person, deserving more, and you're capable of it. But you have to kind of wake up a bit. Yeah. I mean... Even at the highest levels, people just beat on themselves that they're not worthy of success or, or, or happiness. The truth is every single human being ultimately is. They're worthy of that, but you, so have, to, you have to remind them. Megan says, a lot of us are struggling now, Z. That's my point. I had my son when I was 18, so I started out behind. So now at 30, what do I focus on? Making money and missing this time with my son or focus on my son and continue to struggle? My advice would be, listen, your son is 12. He's not going to want anything to do with you in three years. <laughs> so in, Focus three, now, in yeah. three years' time, yeah, spend the next three years with him, and then he's gone. Yeah. So, you know, you then know, the, you can start to focus on money. Yeah, you know, the other thing to think about is it's not a, a zero-sum game. That's true, too. You can do both. You can do both. We lost a camera. Oh, wow. What? You lost it's these only camera. Tom's camera. Hey, I'm be, I'll be taking the show from here on. All right. It's the Tom Heineber show. Let's explain how Bitcoin works for all those <laughs> who want to be wealthy. What went wrong with that camera? Oh, we unplugged everything except the box. Okay, we're back. Okay, right, we're back. there hey. we go. <laughs> Logan. Hey. There it is. See? Delayed gratification. Anyway, just buy and hold Bitcoin and then you'll be rich. I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> this is not financial advice. Uh, what are some comments here? Um, yeah, so I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I really don't. I, I know it feels like that sometimes, you know, Cassandra. And again... And a lot of people are liking Cassandra's comment because they're in that position, right? Like, well, I totally get it. Like, yeah. Listen, if I was sitting here listening to a podcast where uh, two rich guys were telling me how to not be poor <laughs> and I was struggling, Suck I would, a dick. I would yeah. be fucking pissed. You right. know? And I would be like, you don't get it. It's hard for me too. And like, blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, I started at that place also where mm-hmm. I thought that I had missed the boat, that I'd never be able to make it, that I'd never do well. There's always opportunities out there. Like it's, you know, mm. a constantly evolving system. So here's interesting. So Melissa McPherson, my mother was stuck at minimum wage for a long time due to many circumstances. Her health was the biggest reason. You can't judge a person just because they're at McDonald's. I don't think anybody should judge a person because they're at McDonald's. No. Like, yeah. When I go to McDonald's, I don't I, judge people. Actually, I don't go to McDonald's. McDonald's. I go to Burger King because McDonald's is trash. Um, when I go to Burger King and the people are 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 helping me, I usually I judge people by 
are they doing their job to the sort of best of their abilities in a way that that they're putting effort into oh i judge that hardcore yeah i judge that you know why doesn't matter what job you're never gonna excel you're never gonna move beyond your shitty job if you act like a piece of shit at your shitty job. Listen, I worked a minimum wage job. I worked at the smoothie place, Tropical Smoothie. I was low man on the totem pole. I came in, guess what? I showed up on fucking time. I didn't steal from the register. This was like everybody else was stealing from the register. <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked what extra I could do. You know how quickly they made me assistant manager? Within two months. Yeah. Within two months, I was running this place. Yep. It's not that fucking hard. Work for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Yeah. You, know, you can move up in the system. Do you think, though, that... That's why know, when I, I go to the coffee bean and there's this guy and, you know, I get a black coffee, just a, like uh, cold brew black coffee. And I'm like, what's up, man? Cold brew black coffee is like, my man. That's a man's drink right there. It's strong. <laughs> drinking it black, you know? And I'm like, dude, I like... It's yeah, like yeah, positive. Yeah, yeah. He, like it, he likes his job. And you know what? He's not there anymore. Mm, and I'm assuming he's doing next, something better. The next level. Yeah. Right. Now, do you think some of that is that people are just damaged and they're incapable of that? Due to whether they were abused or whether there's socioeconomic circumstances, health circumstances. How much can we pin on? It's just, you know, it's just mental frameworks that hold us back. And mm. like, if you haven't seen it work in your life. like or Personal fiction. Yeah. Like, well, it's like what I was saying with my emotions. I feel emotionally damaged. Mm. Like, I have a really hard time. Like, it doesn't fire mm. the way it fires in other people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. so yeah, that's hard for me. Mm. So I just try and do my best to work around it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, this that's why is... I go to therapy and I just sit there and I'm like, like, how do you feel? I don't know, like nothing. How do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is anytime you say anything like therapy or anything vaguely yeah, touchy feeling. Well, know. no, it's funny, but but Logan goes. <laughs> <laughs> We're a very supportive bunch here at Z-Dog Industries. We take uh, being woke very seriously. It's okay. I make fun of Logan a lot. Constantly. A lot. Uh, constantly. Logan uh, has this thing he does where he only goes to Disneyland for vacation. Logan goes to Disneyland nine times a year. <laughs> it's not a joke. Last year, he went nine times. <laughs> Logan don't... has a small child. Logan, how old's your child? He's almost three. He's almost three. Logan only takes his child on one quarter of the trips. The rest of the time, he goes by himself with his wife. And him and his wife sit there and they watch that stupid band of robotic bears okay, play their song. Okay, there's nothing stupid about the, the country bear jamboree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's a yeah. world of laughter, a world of tears. Mm-hmm. It's a world of hope and some LGBTQ, where Q stands for queers. Wow. You see what I rhymed there? That was good. I took it to the next level. That was good. Yeah. Listen, Disneyland is trash, Okay. <laughs> I don't know why adults go there. <laughs> uh, that's what happens to the awesome CNAs. They go on to bigger, better, leaving us all stranded. Katie Hodak, right? But would you that's want That's true, though. Would you want it any other way? Yeah. You know, that's a hierarchical status push where you say, well, you know, this that great CNA went on to become, like, director of nursing, got an RN, did BSN, did all the things. It's like, Charlotte, you want that. Charlotte replying to Heather says, I did similar, but was CNA working three jobs. Bust my butt to show my kids. You can get ahead. Missed a lot of time with them, but they appreciate what they have and acquired. Dude, you know, there's this like weird Hollywood fiction that comes from like rich, snobby Hollywood people where it's like uh, people, <laughs> parents who are working in movies are like abusing their children right. because they're not spending time with them. Like you know, your kids are your kids know that you care about them and you're working hard to better their lives. Like, yeah, let me say something here. You know? My parents 
were fucking absent most of my childhood. Me too. Busting their motherfucking asses, doing mm -hmm. residency, working as private practice docs with no coverage, taking call every single night. And they still managed to parent the fuck out of me, still managed <laughs> to fucking raise a decent kid. So people who are like, I'm working, but I can't spend time with my kids. No, fuck off. That's bullshit. You can, and actually your kids will model on your work ethic. They'll be happy that there's food on the table and that they're not so insecure that they're going to be on the street. I didn't know that people work nine to five. Because, yeah, me neither. Because my father worked eight to six. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't. I was. I didn't know people had work hours. Right. In my mind, I thought work was this mythical beast that swallows the parents for a long time and then spits them out, so that they spend some time and then swallows them up again. A lot of it, you know, with children too. I, I do believe a lot more is caught than taught. Meaning, it is about modeling and not what you tell your children. Like when I was a kid, I went into the office with my father, like on weekends, all the time mm. and i just i'd get to watch hanna barbera cartoons in the big legal conference room <laughs> so it'd just be like saturday yeah it's like a young eight-year-old tom heinemar i have like donuts spread out on the legal <laughs> conference table and i'm watching mcgilla gorilla or like shmoo oh shmoo was the bomb dude <laughs> or johnny bomb. quest or something you know what i mean and uh yeah that but my memory is of being there and seeing him work and you know that instills work ethic in me. I had the same memory of my dad. He would take me to uh, the physician's lounge and just dump me there, go do his rounds. And I'd sit there and these docs would come by and talk to me. I got to see other doctors doing shit. I modeled on that shit. And it was, you're right, caught, not taught. You kind of just catch it and you see it. And, you know, Sunita uh, Puri, who came on our show talking about her book, uh, This Good Night, about end of life stuff. She, in the book, tells a lot of story about how her mom uh, would was working so hard and anesthesiologist uh, dad was a uh, indians you know so they work with a buster ass like and it's a thing they they would take you take her to the to the doctor's lounge to the call room and put her and her brother in the call room with some tv and some a bunch of snacks from the lounge and would say okay stay here for like six hours and i'll be back and it was tough but she actually learned a lot in that time and actually modeled a lot. And it's not perfect. It's not the best way to raise your kids. I'm not saying that's a model. But the thing is, children are remarkably fucking resilient, too. And so this idea, that, and this is another thing, I think it goes with what you were saying about like these people freeloading and all this. I think we might give ourselves too much credit as models, and sometimes just doing what we do is enough, you know? Like others, yeah. others will get something out of it. Uh, so I don't stress so much about I'm like, okay, I spend time with my kids, but also I spend time away from my kids. When I'm with them, I'm trying to be present. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. I don't hit them, I don't yell at them. I'm, you know, I try to be woke as a parent. Yeah. Sometimes I fuck up. Uh, and sometimes they'll come on the show and they'll surprise me with how on point they are with comments and things like that. And I'm like, you know, they got that from somewhere. They got that from watching my wife and from watching me and how we relate to each other and, and the thing. So we're not screaming at each other, me and my wife, in front of them. We don't fight in front of them. Mm -hmm. These kind of things, they do matter. So this is one thing. This is one pet peeve of mine. Screaming and yelling and throwing stuff at each other in front of your kids yeah. should get you fucking jailed. That's now, And again, you can disagree with me. I know people do this. I feel like it is child abuse. And, you know, my parents did do that. And I fucking will. That's one thing where I'm like, that was bad parenting. Because I'm still like vaguely anxious i don't like conflict i you know have this sense of insecurity because of the fighting of people that are supposed to be your security net right so that i have trouble i would like i'd rather you get divorced 
than do that in front of your children. Yeah. That's me. This is my own baggage. But uh, yeah. I know I have that. I totally relate to that. Yeah, yeah. My mother used to, uh, it was a periodic thing of hers that she would just destroy the house. Jeez. Like, I mean, yeah. break everything in the house. Bipolar thing. Every like two years, three years, she'd go on like a manic spin and just break every single item in the house. Mm. I remember being like, you know, the little kid who's upstairs, like listening down on what's happening, mm. you know, got the door locked, whatever. Mm. Cops would always show up, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when people, you know, people always try and tar me with that brush. Like you grew up in the upper middle class and I'm like, sure. <laughs> but I also grew up in a lot of chaos and emotional turmoil. Mm-hmm. So it's not all like rosy. Yeah, Everybody has their struggles, man. That's why I hate it when, uh, you know, it's a big thing to now like accuse people of all this privilege and this and that. Yeah. And this guy's rich and this guy's that. It's like, you don't know. It's a race to the fucking victim position. Yeah, it's a race it's to like, the victim. Yeah. Who's the biggest Stop victim? trying to be a fucking victim. You yeah. know what I mean? No one, it does nothing for you. No one's going to help you. You got to help you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Melissa Palumbo, my daughter hates that I work. She's so happy that I'm on maternity leave. Sure, Melissa, that's true. No kid is thrilled to have you go to work, but the truth is, and it's not going to happen right away, but when, when they grow up, they will appreciate what you did. I think most will um, if you have to go to work. So I think there's a lot of guilt. Mothers in particular have this. Fathers are starting to have this, this guilt that like, oh, I'm working, I'm not with my kid, and is this, am I a terrible parent? Are they gonna be scarred? The answer is no, uh, period. That's that's my take, my own experience. Jody says, my parents never came to my sports games or congratulated me on accomplishments because of work. I rarely talk to them because they raised me to think they didn't give a shit and mm. didn't come to my college graduation. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's quite neglectful. I will say that I think that if you feel that way about your childhood, then it's totally true. You know, all right, yeah, here's one. Yeah, you remember yeah. the Mendoza brothers? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they should have such a strict sentence. <laughs> like, I think that's between them and their parents. I think their <laughs> parents were probably real pieces of shit. Uh, I see. Who yeah. raised little assholes. Right. I, I think that's a that's a neutral for society. Right. Like, I'm good with that. <laughs> we can let them out today, you know? <laughs> Christy Columbus says, I didn't learn shit from parents. I would rather have moved out at 14 than deal with family drama. Now, see, when you come from a really difficult family, I, I, I'm not, I, I think there's sometimes there's an accident of birth. Like, you're just in the wrong place, you know? And getting the fuck out is the only answer, but it's very hard, and that's traumatizing. Um, see, that to me, see, that to me is just like, Oh, you know, when the family's unstable yeah, and there's abuse and there's all this other stuff, it's like, okay, now you got to, you do have to do that. You got to do counseling and work on self-esteem and all these other things that get damaged in that process, you know, because it's hard. And if you deny it, you end up recapitulating the cycle with your own children Mm -hmm. uh, if you choose to have them. It's hard to break the cycles. It is. It is. Um, and you also have to think about how long these cycles have been uh, going through your family lineage, right? Like, oh, yeah. It's not like it just started with your parents. No. Like, this cycle has been going forth since antiquity. That, like, that's another thing I got you know? out of my dad's story, because he was like, so this is how my dad uh, was in the world. Like, he was this kind of guy, and he would do this. And I was left in a boarding school to fend for myself. And I saw my dad, if I was lucky, twice a month when he yeah. came on the train. And he would take us, this is what he said, he would take us, we would walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. He would take us to the movies. Remember, we were talking about Indian movies, why mm-hmm. they're so over the top? Yeah. Because you've got 250 rupees right. a month, and it's going to cost like three rupees each or something for mm-hmm. this movie. It better fucking be insane. Yeah. yeah, somebody explained it to me. They were saying that uh, Bollywood always has three dance numbers, because song and dance numbers, because 
a lot of the people that are choosing to buy a ticket are choosing between that ticket and a meal. And a meal. Right. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it better be fucking... It better be fucking good. Extravaganza. Better be know? good. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, too. I found out my, my, my lack of aptitude or interest in sports. You know, my dad was like... And so this is the thing in the boarding school... All these kids were fucking insane about sports. It was a British thing because Cricket, it was a British school. Yeah. And he said a lot of the kids were Anglo-Indian. So they had a, a, an English father and an Indian mother. Mm. So it was like English people that like married into Indian yeah. culture. And so these kids were half. And so these kids were really into sports. So they were all into soccer. And they and he was like, I just fucking didn't like it. And he's like, yeah. I don't know what it is. I was the only non like Anglo Indian guy, and I was a Parsi, was a, a sub minority in India. And he's like, so I didn't do it. I played like volleyball because I was tall, and I, that was it. But yeah, I fucking hate sports. And I was yeah. like, that's where that comes from, because <laughs> I never learned shit from my dad how to throw a ball, how right. to fucking do any of that. And then he told me, uh, he said, you know, by the way, your grandmother fucking took care of you and your brother and sister by herself when she was 65 for like a month when we had to work in residency. And uh, I can't believe how she did that because now I took care of your two kids for a week and we're both exhausted because it's so hard because there's such bundles of energy. We yeah. love it. We do it again. But I don't know how my poor mother did it for so long. And we just, we just assumed. We're like, here you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, Melissa says, the thing I find interesting is I forgive my parents for everything that happened when I was a child, but my sister holds on to her This anger. happens. You've seen yeah. that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. It's it, very it, interesting. It's very interesting. Some let go and forgive, and I think those people heal faster. You know, I think one of the things I, I that I did, you know, forgiving my father for not being the things I needed him to be, but also being things that, you know, for there were positives. There were a lot of negatives. There were positives, though. But I've learned to forgive because he was just a baby who got shot out on this earth. who Doing the best he can. Just doing the best he doing can. Doing the best he can. Everybody's just a baby doing the best they can, see? You know, when you think of even the worst just person a as a little baby. baby trying to fucking how they were raised and all the shit they had I to look, go No, through. I look at it with my daughter. I'm just like, one day you're just going to be an adult. Yeah. And you're going to probably be like, you fucked me up. And I'd be like, probably. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Just say, I think, you know, I think just saying I'm sorry to your children is sort of a revolutionary action. Oh, it's, it's absolutely unheard because of. Because I don't, I think I was ever said I'm sorry to. Oh my God. <laughs> Not once. I find myself saying Even it. when things were like horrendous, you know, and aimed at me or yeah. whatever, yeah. You know, it's such a powerful thing though, because I found myself, it's hard for even me for me to do, because I wasn't raised, none. Mm -hmm. your parents don't say sorry to you. So they just kind of sheepishly go, oh. Mm -hmm. And so- yeah, I think my oldest daughter, I accused her of something that she typically would do. So like, did you you leave this thing on the thing? God, you know, I keep telling you to pick it up and you never do. You know, it's like I have to tell you 20 times. Yeah. And she goes, I didn't do that. Maya left that there. And I was like, and Maya goes, yeah, it was me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, I'm really sorry. I just assumed, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. And you could see like, she was this bundle of just, yeah, this uh, isn't fair. Yeah. And she's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I was like, this is actually, the sorry thing can kind of catch on. Yeah. If we all kind of use it if once in a while. If you're in the wrong, yeah. you would say sorry to another adult. Right? Hopefully. Why can't we? Yeah. yeah Some hopefully. people don't do that. Yeah. yeah. I was in the wrong. You were in the wrong. Well, yeah. Was yeah a, me, maybe me. if you hadn't been such a dipshit. Yeah. It wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have had to stab you. Maybe if you weren't so bald, I wouldn't be distracted <laughs> by the shine off your head, man. Uh, all right, let's wrap this shit yeah, up. Yeah, I know. I we, want you all to see this shark video we're about yeah, to Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. Is we, we, 
hilarious. It's uh, it's funny to us, which means no one's gonna watch it. Uh, <laughs> Facebook has been choking our algorithm, so we get nothing. We'll put a video out, and like five people will watch it. All of you are spending too much time with your children. Yeah, you, you need to drop. watch these videos. You need to just get on your phone right now. <laughs> yeah. And stop fucking around. You need to engage with our content calendar, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because think about our self-worth, okay? It's measured in views and shares and comments and likes. That's right. If we don't do well, Z gives me less Bitcoin every month, and that's not cool, man. <laughs> He's Bitcoin dependent, like a baby that's dependent on a, a teat. Uh, all right, guys, I love you. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, so supporters, this is just for supporters on the video. Uh, everyone else will get to hear it eventually as a podcast only. If you are a podcast listener, please review the podcast on iTunes. Give it some stars and write a review. It helps us a lot. I'm yeah. not sure how, but it does. Also, I'm sad. Now, did we make Tom Heineber sad? I'm sad because Facebook's choking the algorithm. <laughs> Stop it, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Fix your shit, man. Fix your shit. Fix your shit. Fix it. all right we out peace out bitch holes hey it's dr z thanks for getting through the whole episode that's a huge accomplishment (laughs) and so at this point i just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.